This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. guys and welcome to the Young Lion Cast, your fortnightly audio source for all things New Japan Pro Wrestling right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host Rob Goodnight, joined as always by the Young Lion himself, Chris O'Brien. How are you buddy? I'm alright, I've only cried like three times this week. That's an improvement? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that is an improvement, is it an improvement? Um... How many times did I cry last week? I lost count last week, so it must be. <laughs> Lovely way to start this podcast. You've done very well in your university exams, though, haven't you? Tell the tell the good people. Yeah, um, I'm only got. I'm awaiting one result, and I think even if that goes absolutely awfully horribly wrong, um, I've still got two one, which is like the second highest classification. So that's oh. not bad. I feel so proud. I said to you before, I'm like a proud podcast dad. <laughs> that. Is- Blaming both you and Garth, I'm a dad. Hey, it's the 21st century. You're, you're my dad and Garth's my daddy. <laughs> um, so today, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we are obviously completing episode three of our deep dive into the feud between Tanahashi and Okada. And we'll, of course, get to that in present time. But to start with, a couple of bits of news, uh, one of which relates to New Japan and one of which uh, is... Horrendous. Um, we'll start with the horrendous thing. We'll uh, we'll talk about that briefly. And I do just want to say that um, we will be talking more about this on the Stardom cast, which will air on the 31st of May. So this coming Sunday as we record. Um, unfortunately, earlier this week, um, Stardom roster member Hannah Kimura uh, passed away. Um, it's at the moment... Stardom have asked for people to give the family privacy and have released no details. The only thing they've said is that they don't suspect foul play. Um, And with things that were posted on Twitter beforehand and were then deleted and a lot of other things that have come to light since her passing, it seems that it could have been self-inflicted and uh, it seems that everyone is treating it like that. Um. It is horrendous. She was 22 years old, which is no age at all. Um, And it is a shocking indictment of the way a large amount of people use social media. Um, And again, myself and Chris are going to be talking about this on the Stardom cast. Um, But it is a call to be better as people to care for people and to concentrate on building people up as opposed to tearing people down because the way that we sort of have gone about doing things has led to the death of a 22-year-old girl, a 22-year-old woman, however you want to put that way. 
22 years old. We need we need to be better, Chris. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on the circumstances again. Again, because we're going to cover this twice more this week. Because it'll be covered on the week in wrestling, and then on, and we're going to do that proper tribute to her on the Stardom cast. But like, yeah, shit, she's she's my age. Um, it's absolutely disgusting, and like she's she's spe- she was special. Like we said it every Stardom cast. I'm pretty sure she's the best promo in Stardom, and. Yeah, just I'll, I'll be more collected in my thoughts come Sunday. It's just awful. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's really really good to see that all wrestling companies, whether they had a connection with Stardom or not, have been putting out tributes. AEW, of course, put a tribute out during Double or Nothing. Impact put a tribute out on Tuesday. So it's good to see people are banding together in the wake of this because I know for a fact that this has hit so many people so hard and of course our thoughts, prayers, good vibes, all that is going towards her family, her friends, you know, anyone that knew her personally and is feeling this. Obviously, a dreadful, dreadful time. But rest in peace, Hannah. And um we'll be giving a like I say, a proper a proper tribute on the Stardom cast on the thirty first of May. Um, the next piece of news and one that obviously uh, links directly to uh, New Japan is that Harold May um, talked or produced, sorry, a video um, I think two weeks ago saying sort of laying out a roadmap for the coming back of New Japan Pro Wrestling and the big thing that he said would have to happen is that Japan would have to lift the the state of national emergency which Japan was in at the time as of, I think, yesterday, maybe even the day before, Japan have lifted that state of emergency in certain areas, including Tokyo. Now, this potentially means that we could be getting, you know, if everything is in order, if everyone, you know, Haomei was very, very clear of the standards that would have to be met before they considered putting any sort of product out and for that, I commended him on uh, the weekend wrestling, and I commend him again now. He seems to be treating this very carefully, and in my opinion, the correct way. Um, but it does appear that we are seeing the light at the end of the New Japanless tunnel, Chris. Yeah, um, we might actually get a G one of empty arena G one, but I'll take an empty arena G one over no G one. Can't be worse. It would be basically like the first day of G one last year. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's weird. Like empty arena shows has just sort of become the new normal. So like any new Japan's just gonna be fine with me. Like again, they're probably the, the company that handled it the best, but they're probably the only company in Japan who's in position to do that. I mean, like Noah and our Japan have been running empty arena shows. Stardom um, did the limited run, and now they're just not running shows. Same as New Japan and. Yeah, I'm just. I'll be happy when New Japan goes back. To be honest, I, I might if it's just like a bunch of random tags. I'll probably just watch the bunch of random tags. It's like, oh my god, new Naito matches. Hiromo oh, have missed you. But oh my god, Yano, I've missed you so much. <laughs> oh my god, Tenzan. <laughs> <laughs> Giving Tenzan matches ten out of ten just because you've missed him that fucking much. N- Nakanishi. Oh my god, I've missed you. <laughs> Wait, aren't you retired? <laughs> um. 
yeah, they, they, there is going around on Twitter sort of a very, very, very sort of tentative roadmap that could see empty arena, then 500 fans, then a thousand fans and sort of a build up. Um, if that's followed, we could see, as you said, the G1 climax, but with, you know, whether that's 50% of capacity or 75% capacity of, you know, the gate, it's going to be great. And if we approach this in the correct way, you know, this could be the start of New Japan coming back, which, like you, Chris, I've been massively, massively missing this promotion. Yeah, um, it's super weird when a Japanese wrestling promotion has a more cautious um, corona policy than the English parliament. <laughs> That yeah yeah I can't I can't fault you for that maybe maybe we should start a petition Harold May for Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's delve into our subject for today. So when we left our Tanahashi and Okada feud in episode two, we had just come off the back of Dominion 2012. Uh, Tanahashi had ended the first reign of Okada. Uh, the Rainmaker shock had happened. Um, we'd seen the transition from goofy young boy to actual Rainmaker in Okada, you know, coming of age matches against Naito and Goto, and then that absolute barnstormer at Dominion 2012. We're picking it up in episode three with the G1 Climax. 22 and at this point obviously Tanahashi is the champion Okada entering his first G1 Climax so first of all I'm just going to read out the blocks Uh, not necessarily the standings but the blocks and we'll talk a little bit about that and we'll talk a little bit about the standings and then we'll go into the actual match that we want to talk about today so in block A we had Carl Anderson, Shelton Benjamin, uh, Satoshi Kojima, Marafuji, Yuji Nagata, Minoru Suzuki, uh, Yujiro Takahashi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Toriyano. And then in block B, we had Lance Archer, Hiroki Goto, Togi Makabe, MVP, still find it baffling that he was part of New Japan, uh, Tessie Naito, Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, Kazuchika Okada, Rush, and Hiroshi Tenzan. Um... Chris, is there anything you want to say about uh, the lineup of the G1? Um, any names that stick out as surprises? Well, Marufuji obviously sticks out because he's Noah. But then again, they're both on with Bushi Road at this point, so that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I... Um, get a bit of cross-promotion going. Noah was... Then again, Noah almost died because of their New Japan partnership, so maybe don't celebrate it. Yeah, their doomed um... partnership. Yeah, like people go like, oh, AW should go with them. It's like if AW is smart, they would not. They will not partner with New Japan. Jesus, <laughs> like the only people who haven't almost died because of New Japan not being partners with them anymore is in CMLL. Yeah, <sighs> true, true story. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, I guess TNA, but TNA is a rare case who fucked. New Japan more than New Japan fucked them. I can't commend them for that. Yeah, and we've already uh, talked about how badly Impact fucked New Japan. Yeah, like, well, like they should have asked to leave if we were going to fuck them that hard. Anyway, um, yeah, MVP sticks out weirdly. Like, I guess if you're watching product at the time, he's just there. Yeah. 
he's not it's not that weird it, when you think because I've seen interviews with MVP where he loves Japanese wrestling so it makes sense mm. like uh, may, may, we haven't seen an MVP um an MVP New Japan match so maybe they'll put that in a classic in the future um I think putting watch... any MVP match in a segment reviewed as classic would be uh... I mean like have you seen some we we saw fucking Shinya Hashimoto get shot on. So Vader lose an eye. Yeah. So like, don't please don't pretend that um... <laughs> we have any standards. Yeah, please don't. Like we basically watched enough film, and at one point, <laughs> and like what, at one point, like I'm pretty sure we had the Cactus Jack Terry Funk death match in there. So like, let's not pretend we're not morbidly curious about awful things, <laughs> let alone MVP facing Tanahashi. So. Continental champion. <laughs> so let's talk about block A then. So the final block A standings um, saw Carl Anderson, Machine Gun Carl Anderson, finish atop the block on 10 points, becoming the first foreigner to make it to the final of the tournament since Rick Rude in 1992. A little bit of uh, knowledge for you. I'm just saying this because I don't think I'll ever have a chance to bring it up again. How amazing is Rick Rude's WCW theme? Quality. Absolutely amazing. And then he goes to the Fed and he gives him the stripper music. I'm like, I get it fits, but still. <laughs> um, obviously, working down then from Carl Anderson. Carl Anderson finished on 10 points. Hiroshi Tanahashi, of course, the IWGP heavyweight champion at the time, also finished on 10 points. And it's very important to note he had losses to Minoru Suzuki and Marafuji. Remember that. Uh, Shelton Benjamin on eight points, Nagata on eight points, Suzuki on eight points, Kojima on eight points, Marafuji on eight points, and then Yano and Yujiro Takahashi bringing up the rear on six points. Block B was a little bit of a different kettle of fish. Kazuchika Okada won the block outright with 10 points and then followed just an absolute stream of people on eight points. Uh, Lance Archer finished second, Hiroko Goto, Togi Makabe, MVP, Tetsuya Naito, Roshi Tenzan, Shinsuke Nakamura all finished on eight points and then Roosh bringing up the rear on six points. Um, any surprises in the standings apart from Carl Anderson obviously winning Block A, which still stands out as a surprise to anyone, I imagine. Um, Rish being so low, like it's weird. I heard I forget who it was. Um, I was listening to a podcast. Apparently, Rish has no aspirations for New Japan at all. And when you see how he's booked here, I kind of get it. Well. How old? How old was Roosh here? I, I can't imagine he was that old at this point because uh, I'm all looking. I look up how old he is, and then we'll do some quick math. Okay, well, Roosh. he's 31 yes. now. So, so and this was 2012. Wait, so that's eight years ago. So he'd be 23. Three, yes, he'd be my. <laughs> So, yeah, presumably he was still viewed as something of a young lion. Yeah, maybe. But then again, I'm pretty sure he was still like, a big star. Maybe they just wanted CMLL representation and each pants like, fine, but we're not putting him over. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, Kazushiko Okada, um, youngest G1 Climax winner, spoilers, um, at the age of 24. Um, he broke the record. Can you guess, Chris... I'm hoping you're not looking at it now. Uh, can you guess who was the previous youngest winner of the G1 before Okada won it this year at 24? Was it Tana? It was not Tanahashi. That's who I thought it was. Was it Goa? 
it was not Goto. He got one more chance. Can you give me a time period? Um, yeah, early to mid nineties. Chono. Correct. Masahiro Chono. Can you guess how old he was? Twenty-six. Oh, oh! I'll give you that. Twenty-seven. Oh. Um. Well, no, you're thirty. <laughs> so let's delve into the final then. So the final was obviously contested between Machine Gun Carl Anderson and Kazuchika Okada. Now you have. On several occasions, Chris tried to get me to watch this match. And yeah. I... You were, we were talking about WWE for some reason. We don't do it that, all that often. Unless it's like, oh, WWE fucked up again. I was like, and you were like, oh, Carl Anderson can't work. I'm like, yeah, he can. I've, seen, I've definitely seen him work. And then I pointed to this match and the follow-up at King of Pro Wrestling as an example. Yeah, I mean, they were obviously very hot on Carl Anderson. This is on the heels of... Um, Say again? Top Gaijin. Top Gaijin, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is hot on the uh, heels of their first American tour where they introduced the Intercontinental Championship, and you can't help thinking that this was probably their thought as someone who could headline those tours. I mean, not only did he top the group, he got a pinfall victory over Tanahashi. Mm. So, you know, New Japan were obviously very, very high on him. Me personally, I'd never seen Carl Anderson as that because when I started watching New Japan or when I first heard of New Japan, he was a tag team wrestler in Bullet Club. And don't worry, we'll get there on this uh, on this limited edition series. Oh, oh fucking boy, will we talk about Bullet Club. Jesus. <laughs> but I've, I've never seen him as a singles worker. I've seen him as the stronger in a tag team, obviously, when you're partnered with Doc Gallows, you are going to be the strongest one, but always someone who's a good hand, but not necessarily someone who would put on a good singles match. However, um, we get to this match, and what a fucking match. Very impressive. Yeah, it was a good back and forth. I think what made this see, um, sort of stand out compared to the matches we've covered so far is that there wasn't a through line. If you get me, like, there was no targeting of a limb. There was none of that. There were just sort of two young people beating the shell for each other until one of their bodies came up. Yeah, I agree. I will say that this was the first time since Okada re-debuted at Wrestle Kingdom 6 and in all the matches that I've actually seen with Okada in in this time period, Anderson stands as the first person to target the arm. Mm -hmm. And... As Okada's finisher, as they have built as you know this absolutely devastating thing, um, it struck me as very, very odd, especially for Tanahashi, not to target the arm, to take the Rainmaker out of the equation. However, Anderson spends absolutely ages working the arm, destroying it with uh, through the barricade, working it with a sub series of submission holds. And it's actually a really, really intelligent way of doing it. And at no point did it hinder the pace of the match. I can't hear Hindu without thinking gender anymore. I know, it's really upsetting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it's weird because he still came, like, I don't I don't know how you saw it, but Anderson still came off as fairly brutish. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right down to, like, his, apart from his, like, baby blue tights, um, like, he still had, like, the machine gun in the entrance, which I think is fairly fucking cool. He was. He's charismatic, and I think he's always been charismatic. He was even charismatic in his WWE run. Yeah, My uh... issue here with him, and it's an issue right up until he joins Bullet Club, and I imagine it's the same issue that you have with him. He's very 
white meat baby face. There's... Oh, here. Because I messaged you earlier going, oh, fuck, does Carl Anderson need Bullet Club? He was treading water by the time Bullet Club came along. He's like, he's like Juice Robinson, except without... He, like, he doesn't have that baby face charisma that Juice has. Like, I... Like, with Juice, I can imagine someone could... And like, a woman could look at him and instantly become pregnant. Whereas with Carl Anderson and this sort of, like, eh, who's shagging? Well, apparently, if, if his promos are to be believed, he has a hot Asian wife. But, yeah, it's sort of like, he doesn't work as that kind of babyface. It's sort of like that top Asian babyface. I agree with you. And I think it was something they were testing the water with, with Devitt. Yeah, um, to be fair, Devitt was really over. Like, we'll get onto that both next time, but also, like, Devitt had, like, an Amani deal and shit like that in Japan. Yeah, he was he was ridiculously over. And I think, you know, Anderson was over. You know, he got a good reaction when he came to the ring. You know, they loved the machine gun thing, as you mentioned before. But this is one of the G1s where... I don't think the winner was ever in doubt. You know, you look oh, yeah. at past winners of the G1, you don't think, yeah, Carl Anderson's going over Okada here. I mean, Nakanishi. Admittedly, that is a hole in my argument, is owed Nakanishi, it, but at least he'd had time I, with the company. I always like pulling shit like that. Like, for example, someone once was once trying to argue that the IWGP Championship is the most presti- um, prestigiously booked championship ever and there's been no lows in it. And I was like, eh, Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp. Brock <laughs> um, Lesnar. It, it, I'm going to... No, we'll talk about, we'll talk about uh, Goto next time because I, w- no. I want to talk about his sort of booking around this time because, yeah, I've got a few, I've got a few, uh, got a few questions. Um, there's... This entire match is very, very well worked. I still pop for Anderson's yeah. gun stun. I thought that that was used fantastically in this that match. End, that ending sequence, like, find me a better ending minute in all of in all of 2012. Yeah, like Jesus. Yeah, that entire finishing sequence was beautifully seamless, and it was something that Okada was getting really really good at by this point. It was something that we mentioned last episode in his match with Naito, that, you know, he was getting really, really good at these closing stretches, and this really did epitomise it to me. And this, for me, even though it didn't cement Anderson as a top guy, or, you know, unfortunately anything even close, in my opinion. Well, as a contender. As, exactly. He is, as you mentioned, I think the best way of describing him is, he's a Juice Robinson, someone who, when is called upon, can have an absolutely fantastic match, or you don't buy as a top guy. Yeah, well, to be fair, I can. I think I'd been able to buy Juice as a top guy if his US title run hadn't started with him going what was it, three and four in the G one. Well, he start. Did he go zero for four at the yeah, start? Uh, yeah, and then he got three points. And and like when you're in your head, you're like, oh well, he, he had a broken arm. Now he's going to spend the summer avenging his lo- losses when fucking Cody turned up and got a shot out. Fucking fuck up. Anyway. I don't like Cody. We'll get into this. Um, we'll get into this on the main podcast this week. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, not Cody, and I feel like me and Gav are going to have a massive argument. I can um, feel it already. Yeah, like that ending. Like Carl Anderson was someone uh, after this match was like, yeah, yeah, but um, he'd been a title program, and he wasn't title programs after this. So yeah, but like seriously, I've never seen more creative. Um, counters out of the gunstun. 
of Arkia, if you're listening to this and for some reason haven't watched a match with Tamatonga. Um, like, like when he went for the gunstun and Okada got into the Rainmaker, I, le- I legitimately thought that um, Anderson had like hit the gunstun. It was great. Yeah. No, it was. It was a re- like I said, that ending sequence put it over the top as a great match. It was a good match up until that point, but the counters out of the gun stun and that entire last minute, as you've already mentioned, really put it over the top for me. I gave it eight. I went for eight as well. It's like a fun British back and forth. I'm like, it's weird. Like, cause I think the reason, reason like it would slightly disappoint people going back to it like we have is the G1 finals from. I want to say 2016 onwards is a guaranteed match of the year. Like, you sort of have Omega and um, Goto, which I guess is the most questionable one, but then, like, Omega Naito, Omega um, Naito, and oh, fuck, what's, what's the one the year after? Oh, Tanahashi Ibushi and then um, Jay White Ibushi, which last year, I think, in hindsight, is definitely my match of the year that year. It is, and just to, just to pile onto that argument, Meltzer gave this three and a half stars. Which is a good match. It's still a you know still a very serviceable match. That's solid. That translates to seven. Yeah, exactly. In Podmania star ratings, that translates as a seven. So difficult. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You just times it all by two. Um, but yeah, I I thought this was a really solid match. I thought you know it again cemented Carl Anderson as a very 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 solid worker. Again, I was a little bit skeptical about whether you know he would be able to have something built around him and ultimately he wouldn't do uh, because he'd be part of Bullet Club. But yeah, Okada wins the G1 and this is the really, really important bit. Not only does he win the G1, but he also says that he wants to cash in his briefcase, you know, for anyone who's unaware of how the G1 works, you get a title shot. Um, He basically said, I want my title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, this is the first. This is you know modern day practice. Now you win the G one, you get your shot in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. In those days, this is the first time that it had happened. This is the first time that the G one winner would headline Wrestle Kingdom. So New Japan said that's absolutely fine. You can do that. However, you have got to defend that briefcase from now, which was um, August the twelfth of August, up until January the fourth. So which um, Okada did. I think you can definitely criticise the long wait between at times because, like, it's fine when we're def- defending it through, like, Destruction Tour and a power struggle and stuff like that and going for wrestling. But then you get to Tag League and fucking nothing happens for a month. Yeah, but unfortunately, I don't think that's anything to do with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. I just think that's a horrible... That's, that's just Tag League. Yeah. That's just <laughs> the way New Japan booked their Tag League. But yeah, like it creates really great ways to, like, for example, when Kenny Omega um, won the G1, um, he basically had a path through chaos to get to Okada, which was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it can make, when done right, it makes a very seamless booking. And also, like, it makes, like, for example, when Yoshihashi beats um, Kenny Omega, again, um, going back to that example, um, it mean it gives more weight to G1 matches because if someone who's not a favourite beats a favourite, it means they could probably get another chance later down the line. I mean, like, I don't the G1 briefcase has never been won from anyone, but still, that's the thing. Um, you look at all the G1s from 22 all the way through to 29. It does sort of render those championship defences at King of Pro Wrestling and at Destruction 
as completely moot because no one's going to lose the championship in that time, barring in- injury. And it's si- oh. the same as with the briefcase. They have got well, an idea of who will win the G1 and who they want in the main event of WrestleGeek. The Putting- championship um, changes hands between before we'll get onto that. Um, you could when Bullet Club is really fucking with this feud, but in like the two years between, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Anyway, um, so both gone for eight on this match. To be fair, they they did have a rematch when we got onto that later in the show because I actually did watch their rematch because I was very curious. Yeah, we will get onto that, and that's one of the aforementioned briefcase briefcase defenses. Um. However, Tanahashi will go on to his narrative now. And obviously, as I've already stated, he had his G1 ruined for him by losses to Marafuji and to Suzuki. So, as is New Japan's want, Marafuji then had a title match against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, that match would take place on the Destruction Tour on the 23rd of September 2012. Um I'll let you talk about this match first, Chris, because <laughs> I've got something that I need to say about it. I enjoyed it. It was a fun enough back and forth. I, honestly, I just like seeing Marafuji in New Japan. It's, a deep, it's always a nice change of pace when he turns up because he does work a very different cadence. Um, I, I liked the ending stretch a wee bit. I thought the ending came a bit out of nowhere. But it's not a ton to say about this match, to be honest. like It's not blow away or anything. It's just a fun wee match on the stop to Wrestle Kingdom. I didn't like this match. <laughs> I saw that coming from a million miles away. Why don't you like this match, Rob? Now, for me, wrestling is more than the putting together of moves. You look at yeah. most people in wrestling nowadays, and if it's just a case of putting together moves in a sequence, most people would put on absolute barn burners. For me, there has got to be some manner of narrative. There's got to be some manner of drama. And I understand that Marafuji is an absolutely excellent worker. And we've reviewed Marafuji's matches on the classic segment before. You know, his um, his champion carnival win in 2018, for example. But for me, Marafuji didn't sell properly. I mean, to the point where... I did. I forgot what Tanahashi was even working, and this is a man who has been working the knees and the leg for the majority of his career because Marafuji just didn't sell it. There was times when he just—I don't know whether this is style—he just didn't seem interested in the match at all. And you know, on the face of it, a very good match. The moves are very good, and the closing stretch, absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But the entire match lacked any sort of drama, any sort of narrative. And again, I think it suffered from the fact that New Japan, once Okada said that he was going to take up his contract from winning the G1, he was going to have his match at Wrestle Kingdom. You were at no point going to have Tanahashi lose it to Marafuji. You know, irrelevant of how good the match is and how big a name Marafuji is, you are not going to have that happen because the money match is Tanahashi versus Okada, even at that point when they'd only had two matches. I just, I think this lacked something for me to see this as a really, really, really good match. Do you think um, 
Marafuji just didn't turn up because he felt like an Ace versus Ace match should be on a major show like King of Pro Wrestling. Because when um, him and Okada had an Ace versus Ace match um, a couple years, well, like four or five years after this, it was amazing. When Marafuji was on offense, it was brutal and I was into it. His kicks are amazing, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. But I've never had a problem with Marafuji as a wrestler. I've never had a problem with Marafuji as, you know, a seller. Just this match, I don't know whether it was the, whether the crowd were a bit dead, whether no one saw Marafuji as a threat, or whether it was just because I found Marafuji's lack of selling and the lack of story and the lack of drama, I found it something that took it out, took me out of it so much that I just I didn't really care. It's the only match that we've watched for these for these ten episodes thus far. It's the only match where I have been looking around the room for other things to do. Ah, to be, yeah. I, I, I think this is a good, I don't think this is a great match, don't get me wrong, like I was still sort of half texting while I was watching it. I don't know, I think like I partly got drew into the Ace vs. Ace thing. Like these two have had better matches, like the match in the G1 in 2016 was better than this. I don't know, like I just don't think even then, I, I was going to say not being given, but both men got offense in, but it seemed like, how can I best put it? Okay, you know the 2016 Ghostbusters? The all-female cast? Yeah. Um, Bang you know, in film. I love that film. Anyway, carry on. Uh, you know how, like, part of the, um, like, part of everyone's contracts was they all had to have the same amount of funny jokes? I didn't know that, but okay. Um, that's what that's, this sort of felt like. It's all like, okay, we need to make sure these two get like exactly the same amount of offense in, and we were just sort of making sure they get their shit in. Yeah, and this is not to say that this isn't a very creative match. The spot where um, Tanahashi throws Marafuji in the air and then puts him into a dragon suplex. Really, really good. Really good. And again, on the face of it, speaking just purely on moves, this is a good match but it it lacked that something deeper that the excellent matches the you know the spectacle the once in a lifetime matches have and again as you've said chris this is an ace versus ace match you've got the ace of new japan against the ace of noah and it lacked Um, that fire for me yeah um again when Marafuji faced Okada, this wasn't a problem. No, and, that's weird. And don't get me wrong, again, that ending stretch, brilliant, seamless, looked amazing, and I really, really enjoyed it. But I don't know, there's so, it's a seven from me. And I, I can get a seven too, a high seven. Yeah, it just it lacked that thing that would put it to an eight. And that fight, I find that so. Weird that I've given a match with Carl Anderson and Okada an eight, and then a match between Tanahashi and Marafuji. I can't give it the same grade. I find it so weird. Yeah, well, that's thing. I think that's something a lot of people have an issue with is they always like artificially raise a grade based on who's involved, which like is natural. You have bias, but like I'm, I'm one of those people who personally prefers Tanahashi to Okada, so. Yeah, well, fair enough. Each to their own, isn't it? Yeah, um, I actually have my issues with the cards. We're going to get into at the end of this series. 
so let's move on then. So obviously Tanahashi walks out of destruction with the title. However, at the end of that, who should make an appearance, Chris? Oh, I didn't watch past um, back. I had to watch. I thought I had to watch um, four more matches, so I just quickly went on to the next one. It's absolutely fine because Minoru Suzuki made a fucking appearance. Oh, that brings us on to King of Pro Wrestling. That's exactly the segue I was looking for. So, obviously, I've already stated that Marafuji got a victory over Tanahashi in the G1. The other person was Suzuki. And after the destruction match against Marafuji, Suzuki wanted his piece of the pie. He wanted his match against Tanahashi. So, that was granted to him at the next show, which was King of Pro Wrestling 2012. Um... We're not the reason we haven't reviewed that is because on episode, I believe episode two of the Young Lion cast, if you want to go back into the archives, we have already reviewed this match in detail. We both absolutely love it and highly, highly recommend it to you. It's one of the better Suzuki matches ever. And I believe it was the first match in five years in New Japan to be given five stars from Dave Meltzer. Yeah, um, to quickly run down things in King of Pro Wrestling, because we did skip over this, so my main was Okada defending against Carl. And Carl. Carl? Um, your mate Carl? Big Cass? I, now, now I'm just remembering, um, have you ever watched Llamas with Hats? What? Okay, you're a bit old for it. Um, but Whoa! There's a llama and he keeps going, Cow, it's better than I can make it sound. One of the men's... <laughs> One of them ends up dying and the other one ends up killing himself. It gets dark. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just followed the, end, the ending of Llamas of Hats. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway. You, question. When I mention media, I can see them outside of um, wrestling. Does it concern you? God, yes. <laughs> I'm going to move on from Llamas in Hats. Um... One thing I did, I wanted to ask you about this. This was something I wanted to ask. Carl Anderson won the block, Mm -hmm. went on to take on Kazuchika Okada in the block, in the G1 final, lost. Why does he then get a shot at the briefcase? Surely Surely the shots at the briefcase should have been against the people that Okada lost to in the G1, namely Goto, Naito, and Nakamura. Yeah, um, I know this. It does. I agree to you. In the purely booking terms, they should have got the shot. Um, but like, I think they, they also booked themselves into a corner because Nakamura is in the same stable, and we don't like running stable as a stable matches outside of G One unless we absolutely have to. And they were really, they were really, really protective, protective of the Naito Okada match because they were planning on that being like the. Um, big feud going forward, and it kind of did. It took a while to get the wheels turning. We'll get onto that in res- in two episodes at WrestleMania. Um, so, like, we wanted to protect that, and then like the Goto match. Yeah, there's no excuse not to have another Goto match. Really, was there? <laughs> Unless we just wanted to completely bury but Goto. Yeah, it, it just fa- it, I just found it very strange that the person who lost in the G1 final would then get a second bite of the cherry. It just doesn't happen nowadays. I guess um, I don't know. I, I maybe it's just that wasn't the established thing yet. So we just thought a Cal Anderson versus 
Okada rematch would look good. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, you go on and talk about the Okada versus Carl Anderson match. I know well, you wanted to have a little bit of a talk about it. It's kind of mostly the same, just more of it, if, it, if that makes sense. It was like before, but went a bit faster. Like, there was less, like, one of the problems I didn't really bring up was it was plodding at times for Carl Anderson um, G1 match. But then here, like, it wasn't really, like, it's around, it's like just slightly better, don't get me wrong. It's not as, it's about as blow away as the one before, but like, it's just another enjoyable match that ends up being a hidden gem because it's not a G1 final. Yeah. Would you give it eight then? I give it eight, um, uh, like a higher eight. Like if the one before was four stars, this would be like four point two five. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Give or take the same. Fair enough. Yeah, and then like to quickly just talk about the Suzuki Tana match because I'll take any opportunity. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Like seriously, top ten New Japan matches of all time for me. I find it very hard to disagree with you, buddy. Yeah. Like seriously, they managed to have a match in 2012 have no near fall of unbeaten Palak. I think we spoke about this on the podcast about how there was no near falls. It was just absolute brutality, especially on the point of Suzuki. Yeah, and I think that's why we were so disappointed about the wrestling match because this is the first Suzuki Tana match we reviewed. We saw, of course, we saw them before because we had they had a mini feud in 2018, I believe. Um, but yeah, oh my god, oh my, it's just so good like it's super weird to me that this is John Moxley's favorite New Japan match despite the fact this is not at all how John Moxley works I mean you're talking about now obviously we're talking about John Moxley at the time was CZW and you know all that kind of jazz so you know he was working a far no, more hardcore the, style the shield was just that it's, it's 2012 of course it was of course it was Survivor <laughs> Series 2012 the debut of the shield um, in fact, had they debuted at the time? Doesn't matter, it's a New Japan podcast. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about fucking WWE, are um, Yeah, so that was that was the match, or that was the level match. And I think this was why I was so disappointed in the Marafuji match. Yeah, like, we could have had this, but, like, literally, if, the Marif- um, if um, this would have been the match I'd have chosen... Um, instead of the Marafuji match if we hadn't have already reviewed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no point us reviewing the same match twice. If you do want to check our review of it, I think it's episode two. So please go into... Uh, oh, no, is it episode... It's either episode two or episode four. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I trust it, you, lads. Yeah, it's the second classic review segment. So I think it's episode four. Um... So obviously we make our way through Power Struggle and we make our way through Tag League and we arrive screeching at Wrestle Kingdom 7. We have come full circle from Okada's initial debut to right now, Wrestle Kingdom 7. Now, before we talk about this, Chris, this is what you always love to do, so I'm almost preempting the fact that you would want to talk about some of the matches on the card before we get into the main event. I do, and I'm, I'm, I, ke- I kept it inside, Rob, for the other ones, because quite frankly, who the fuck cares about a destruction card? But, oh my god, this is such a loaded card. I mean, like, it's long, it's way too fucking long. But, oh my god, like, you don't get Wrestle Kingdom's this top-heavy anymore, and, like, that makes sense. But, like, I say that, that's mostly because this year's Wrestle Kingdom was put into two. But then you sort of have, like, endless gauntlets and um, the... Rumble or whatever, and whereas here, 
Oh my god. Okay, so um, the tag team title match was actually meant to be pretty good with KES taking on um, Goto and Anderson. That's a weird team, isn't it? It is, yeah. I don't, you, yeah, it is a really, really strange team. Um, Nagata and Suzuki had a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom 1. We reviewed that. Um, plugging. Um, we gave that 8, didn't we? That was a really good match. Um, that was a good match. Da- um, Prince Devitt, who will play a big role the next three episodes, I believe he appears on quite a lot. Yep. He appears next. Yeah, he's in the, like the next three episodes very prominently. Um, yeah, retained his title against Kotobushi and um, Loki, which is weird. You don't want really to get three ways anymore, do you? Um, well, you don't. You're a bit old for it. But. Oi. <laughs> um, Tenkoji was. Had a random match against um, Otani and Muto from All Japan because they All Japan kept having crossover events with New Japan at the time. Um, to be fair, actually no, it's a weird one, but actually that's a story for another classic about um, the relationship between New Japan and All Japan. I'll try and sneak it into a classic one day. Um, Makabe and Shibata had a match, which I can only imagine it was unbelievably brutal. Like, it's Shibata and Maccabee. Both men have a massive disregard of theirs and other people's heads. Yeah, absolutely. If it's anything like Maccabee's match against Ishii, then, or against, um, who was the other great match he had with? Suzuki. Yeah, if, if it's any, anything like those matches, then I imagine it was fucking brutal. With and Nakamura. Um, he, he was good, it's just now... He's weird. It's weird. Like You know how like JBL had like other commitments outside of WWE, which meant he stopped working hard? He's like the JBL of New Japan. <laughs> he is, he is. Um, super weird. But then, like, Nakamura and Sakuraba, which I want to bring up, because you slated Sakuraba when we um, reviewed his Suzuki match, which I still stand by is not as bad as you, Seth. Right. I'll stop you there, because I did watch this match. Uh-huh. With it only being 11 minutes, I thought, well, I yeah. might as well, uh, I might as well stick it on. And I, I think... The Suzuki Sakuraba match from Wrestle Kingdom Nine is hamstrung by the gimmick it's given. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if Sakuraba and Suzuki were allowed to just have a straight up wrestling match, was, it would be it a, a fantastic U- match. It was the UWF rules, wasn't it? So it's Sheep Style, but the, the other one. Sheep Style's a weird one. Sheep Style's really hard to rate because they're so short. Because they they're trying to emulate like proper fights which wouldn't go on for half an hour it just didn't for me it just didn't translate to the tokyo dome no that's sort of something we're going to come up with on the main event of this but yeah like here it's a lot more of course it's a bit more strike heavy because it's nakamura (laughs) yeah and it was it was so so stiff Oh, oh my god yeah like it's nakamura is like if michael jackson I'm trying to think of a, a fighting movie, but I don't watch many fighting movies. It's like if Michael Jackson and Shawn Michaels had a baby, except instead of knees, there's hammers. Sure. <laughs> sure, why not, Chris? Um there's two there's two very, very specific moments in this match, and we will get on to the main events in a moment. Um, the first is where 
um, Sakuraba has got um, Nakamura in some manner of hold, and I can't remember if it's a triangle or if it's it's some manner of submission hold. And Nakamura gets out of this hold by literally no run up or anything, still in the submission hold by bombaying him in the face. <laughs> and it was just like that's fucking class. Like that's one of those moments where you're just like, oh my god! Like it's weird. You can have. Several, it's so weird to me, like, wrestling classic moments can range from, like, the Osprey-Takahashi um, flip-off from um, Wrestle Kingdom this year to just hear, where, like, someone in a submission and boom, you're dead. Yeah, it was it was savage brutality and it was great. And Sakuraba, the same. The heel palms that he was giving um, Nakamura in the face, and he wasn't pulling them. There was no sort of wrestling about this. It was all shoot strikes to the face. Yeah. It's it's a good job Nakamura was wearing a mouth guard, let's put it that way. It's also a good job that Sakurada isn't that big. No, no. And he was in uh, those shorts that he's wearing. Not a massive fan of those, I'm not going to lie. Um, no, they they certainly did not suit him. I can't remember. Did he also have the tights on? Because that's what he had in 2015. I'm trying to remember. If he had. I didn't watch this match for this review, but I have seen it. No, um, this was just the shorts and the bare feet. Yeah, they're not especially flattering. He should have really went for a more... Actually, I can't think... Because, like, he's a scrawny lad, is Sakuraba. I can't think of anything that would make him would look flattering. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm scared of him. Aren't we all? Yeah, yeah. well, you weren't after Rust Kingdom 9. Well, No. But, you know, he's a legitimate... He's got legitimate MMA experience. I'm a little bit scared of him. Yeah. Um, Garth wouldn't be. Garth would definitely challenge him. <laughs> Call him out of a fight. Um, Just there go. You think you, you have a winning MMA record? Well, aren't Newcastle. We move to the main oh, event then. And obviously the yeah. main event... We've come full circle, as I've already stated, to the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 7 where Kazuchika Okada should be. And we have Okada, the G1 Climax winner, taking on Tanahashi. Again, the third match in their feud for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And before I hand over to you, Chris, because I know you've got stuff to say about this match, this this is where you realise how far Okada's come in a year. Because when he challenged Tanahashi... You know, we've already stated his shirt didn't fit. He was a bit gawky, stumbled over like, his words. He looked like the spotty team from The Simpsons. He did. Nobody took him seriously. Um, and even after he, you know, even after he basically reinvented himself in the space of a month um, and won the title, people were still a little bit, you know, they weren't convinced. Um, and as the year went on, I mean, he gets unbelievable reactions um, in like the G1, for example. And then we come to here and he comes down in the lift. He's wearing the robe, the Okada dollars. We never got... said, how cool is that fucking set? The set was fantastic. Like, um, with the have... with the like temple pillars. Yeah, like that, that was so loud. You literally just don't get sets like that now because like it fucks with um, high quality cameras. I think that's the reason given for like simplified sets but still yeah for me here this is where okada felt like the rainmaker yeah this is finally where okada felt like himself and unfortunately for me that came with all its foibles go on then go on then what was your issue with this match partly 
length without a, like there was a through line, but I felt like it was weaker than in the previous matches. Like in previous matches, you immediately were able to go right. So the story, this is the story about that's how we fought each other. But it was here, like there was a bit um, about five minutes in where we were just sort of no doing much, and then like when, when this match got going, it was great and. There was a point where, like, Okada went for one of his bombs too early, and then that's what helped Tanahashi get control. But, like, that wasn't the Orlando. They were just sort of on equal pegging at this point. And, like, spoiler alert, I think what this match was trying to do um, was done so much better before, um, in the match afterwards at the, at the um, Invasion Attack match. But that being said, this is still great. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, like the only like real point of the match outside of story reasons that I didn't like this was that the shit on the ramp. I just thought that was so corny. Like, this felt a bit more dumbed down from especially their last match at Dominion because it kind of had to be because you're in a Tokyo Dome. But still. I understand what you're saying. And I imagine something else you find irksome about this match is that it's very similar to the matches we've seen before. You know, Okada yeah. works the neck, Tanahashi works the knees. Well, I don't um, think there's progression to... The only real progression is, is Okada's first time in the Tokyo Dome where he's basically not guaranteed to win. So, like, but, like, he's not, he's not carrying lack of confidence in his performance where, like... We talked about it in wrestling, like spoilers, but going forward to wrestling and like he conveyed like a lack of confidence post match so well, and then like here he just sort of not when he really should be part of the story, and then like Tanahashi, don't get me wrong, he played his role, per like the way he came down to the ring, but it's the look of oh I beat this guy before I know how to beat him. Blast. The only time he won was a fucking fluke. So there's a couple of things here. I agree with you. I think it is slightly weaker than their Dominion match. However, there are a couple of really, really important story progressions. For a start, you look at the New Beginning show and you've got arrogant Tanahashi who basically believes himself to be untouchable. Now, here, Okada kicks out of a high-fly flow. Mm-hmm. and rather than nursing his ego, the fact that, oh my God, someone's kicked out of the out of my half-life life, this basically this young lion, you know, rather than that arrogance, Tanahashi gets straight back up and delivers his next move. You know, he's not letting things affect him. He's focused, which is something that he lacked in his match at New Beginning. He rectified it, it somewhat at Dominion, and he brought it into full effect at Wrestle Kingdom 7. You're showing an absolute dick here, though. That's something I'm going to be saying a lot over the next few episodes. Tanahashi's oh arrogance gets the better of him on a lot of occasions. Here we get to the King of Pro Wrestling match. Oh, my fucking God. Overall, yes, I agree with you. Spots are the same. And as I've already mentioned, you know, the knee I'm, I'm and the neck. Repeating, I'm, I'm fine with repeating spots because, again, we're going to have a lot of that throughout this series. But, like... I know, I feel like every match beyond this sort of, like, the closest thing to, like, in addition to this is, like, oh, Tan- um, Okada can beat Tanahashi, can't beat Tanahashi at the Dome, because that's Tanahashi's home. And I guess that's 
fine. And I don't know. I just felt this was the most dumbed down. And I'm including the um, their first match because their first match still had that shock in it, where it's like, here, of course they're going to be competitive. They've had two matches, and Okada spent the whole year making himself um, the next the next big thing. I don't like. I don't, I'm sure at the time I'd have absolutely loved it. It's just looking back with the benefit of hindsight, and now that like I've seen, I have seen all their matches now. Um, and to be honest, in like in this run, I'd say this is my least favorite. This is still great. Like I can't put that up across enough. But like of like the what was it eight matches we're covering in this series? If I've got my this is quick maths in my head. Um, this is my least favorite of them. Okay, I mean, each to their own. It's it's not my least favorite. I think it does enough. I mean, the tagline of Wrestle Kingdom Seven is evolution. I think they did enough evolving in this match to make it different. Um, you've got Okada think- hitting the Hangman DDT off the top, which proves that he's learning, yeah. which proves that he's adapting is- and evolving. This is something. I didn't feel coming out of this match. This is something I felt coming out of their power struggle match. Not power struggle, their um, invasion attack match. Yeah, okay. I can understand that. It's still a good match, and I think the drama of it being in the dome certainly helped. Yeah. Um, uh, wait, who the fuck were both celebrities? The, uh, the rock band that Tanahashi comes out with? No idea. Yeah. No idea. I googled it, cannot find them. Did you watch it with... English or Japanese commentary? I watched it with the English commentary with Gino and Kevin Kelly. So did I, which was... like it's like I also did that for the Rainmaker Shock, and they can't seem to decide whether they're pretending they were there at the time or if they're, um, if they're like doing it like podcast style. Either one's fine, but pick one. Yeah, it was a bit strange. It was a bit strange. Um like yeah, Gino reminiscing it's like oh it's the first time in Australia that I could get this pay-per-view we would normally take months for us to get Japanese wrestling and that's all we wanted I'm like okay okay cool that's an insight to the Australian wrestling scene I find that quite cool and then they're acting like they've never seen it before I'm like I'm not being funny Kevin Kelly's watched enough wrestling in his life and Gino Gambino is a wrestler like they could really dissect this pick this apart um, get Chris Charlton involved and you have the history there as well or you can have it with just the normal team and call it like you haven't seen it before, which, like, again, I'm fine with either. Both would be remarkably interesting. But pick one. <laughs> yeah, like, all right. Like, when we're watching, when we do watch-alongs, we don't pretend um, we're... Like, we're, like, we don't pretend we're calling the matches. Mostly because, like, normally when we do a watch-along, we're drunk. But still... Huh. Yeah, I understand that. There have been matches that I've watched that, obviously, in the current climate, they've gone back and put English commentary over matches that they hadn't already put on. And it's a great idea. Really, really good idea. Um, however, on some of them, especially when it's Chris Charlton as well, um, they seem to be not acting as though they're there, but also they're being impartial in that way. They're not acting like they're there. They're not acting like, you know, it's something in the past. It's both. However... Oh, my girlfriend's making an appearance. She's basically, I think she is attempting to try and tell me that there is a rocket going up into space tonight and she wants me to go for a walk to see if she can see it at some point. Oh, yeah, I was told about that. I was going to do that after this podcast. Yeah, we're going to do it after this podcast, guys. (laughs) 
anyway. <laughs> um, I think with that, we'd uh, we better call it a day on that. Um, so obviously we get to the end of the show and Tanahashi has vanquished Kazuchika Okada, has defeated Kazuchika Okada for the belt to retain his belt. What that means is that we've sort of drawn together the first trilogy of Okada and Tanahashi. The, sorry, not the first trilogy, the first chapter of Tanahashi and Okada because I see this Wrestle Kingdom 6 to Wrestle Kingdom 7 as its own little story. Okada mm-hmm. debuted, he won the title, we had the shock. We then got forward into... Tana, uh, sorry, Okada's sort of making himself into the Rainmaker. And then we found that at the moment, it's not quite enough to beat Tanahashi on his best day. We then move on to the next chapter, which is incredibly different. It's incredibly different and also much better because there's a lot of Prince David. <laughs> a lot of Prince David. Like, we can... Uh, right, so next time, the matches we want you guys to watch are... Hold on, I need to get up for WhatsApp. Um... Prince Devitt versus Hiroshi Tanahashi at the anniversary show. Um, Okada versus Goto in the New Japan Cup finals, which then set up Tanahashi versus Okada at Invasion Attack. Um, if you want to watch more, because it's New Japan, there's Tanahashi versus Anderson at New Beginning for the title, and then Suzuki versus Okada at New Beginning. Um, yeah, and then after that, it's basically a wall of Prince Devitt. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in luck if you are fans of Prince Devitt. If not... Maybe skip the next couple of episodes. Actually, no, don't skip the next couple of episodes. Just don't watch along and just base your opinion based on what we tell you. <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Um, in the meantime, obviously, you can listen to us on any podcast app. Please go subscribe, rate, give us a good review. It really does help the podcast. Go to podmania.co.uk where you can check out all of our podcasts in the archives. You can also look at all of our match ratings from the matches that we have talked about today. Um, you can talk to me on Twitter at, at Real Rob Goodwin. Chris, where can they find you? Um, at, oh fuck, what's my Twitter? I, I deleted the app, so it doesn't really matter. Um, and Bushy, yeah. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter at, at the Young Um, don't forget to join the Facebook group at um, which you can find out Podmania podcasts. Join in for all sort of discussion, chat, just basically good wrestling vibes. Um, yeah, next week join us same time, same place for Redemption Chapter 4 in our story and we hope to see you guys again soon. <laughs>